Intersect Radio, where music, faith, and life converge, with your host, Aaron the A-Train Smith. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. This is the Intersect Radio Program. I'm your host, Aaron A. Train-Smith. We're powered by the Intertalk Radio Network, the worldwide leader in music business talk. And that tune you just heard as an opener is by my really good friend and guest today. He's a singer, songwriter, producer, along with Rich Mullins. He was the co-founder of Rich Mullins and Ragamuffin Band. His music was featured in a 1996 movie, That Thing You Do. I'm sure you all know that movie. It's a, it's a great Thanksgiving, Christmas, snowed-in kind of day movie. He's also had music in My Big Fat Wet Greek Wedding. He's been in uh, writing music for TV. He had music in Dawson's Creek and other independent films and numerous other TV shows. He's also produced artists such as Rich Mullins, Amy Grant, Aaron Neville, Michael W. Smith, and many others. Along with this, he has written, performed, and produced four solo projects of his own. His first solo record, Rick Elias and the Confessions, was voted as one of the top 100 greatest albums in Christian music by CCM Magazine. His work has also been nominated and awarded by the Gospel Music Association, the United Catholic Music and Video Association, and the Nashville Music Awards. He is currently a songwriting instructor at the Contemporary Music Center in Nashville, just spreading his gift to just a bunch, a ton of teenage students who are just eager to learn from him, I know. Uh, would you please welcome my good friend, Mr. Rick Elias. How are you doing, Rick? I'm doing good, buddy. I don't know if they're so eager to hear what I have to say, but they're going to hear it either way when they get to class. <laughs> yeah, you know. It, it depends. Yeah. Person by person, case by case basis, yeah. Yeah. Hey, man. I'm, you know, I'm going to jump ahead right now, and and uh, we're, yeah. we'll we'll come back. Um, I just spent the earlier part of that afternoon listening to Job. That is a great mm-hmm. record. That is a great record. I I knew you, you did the record. I remember you doing mm-hmm. it, but I had never heard it. And yeah. So well, that's I, that's the way of the world these days. You know. <laughs> 
the way music is distributed, you know, you can make it. It's just getting anybody to, to, to hear it. But, but thank you very much. Yeah. I, you know, to everybody that's listening today, get that record. Job is a great record. Great songwriting. It sounds great. I mean, and just the concept, you know, uh, the suffering concept of mm. the whole thing. It runs, it runs through the record. Very, and, you know, it's, that darkness yeah. runs throughout the record, you know, and it's great. It was a, it was a weird time, if I can interject. I mean, uh, just in the, I knew I had wanted to make, you know, I had laid low for so long, and I was never uh, real good at being a, a staff songwriter, even though that's the way I earned my living for, for many, many years. Mm-hmm. I was always more of a, if you gave me a project, I could write for a project, like that thing you do or something like that. And I was also a writer that really did best when when I felt like I had something to say, that's when it really worked the best. Mm -hmm. Um, And for years, I just just felt like I'd had my chance to say my piece. And and, uh, and, uh, finally, after teaching for a number of semesters, I really kind of have to credit my students with kind of reawakening in me, uh, you know, I felt like I had had something to say, but it wasn't going to be real uplifting. I was just really, really fascinated with the idea of suffering, the concept of Job uh, in the Bible, the book of Job, and how we relate to it contemporarily. Not a real feel-good theme, by the way. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, it's kind of hard to sell that pitch people. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this record's going to be about suffering. It's real uplifting. But, uh, <laughs> right as I started me, as I was writing it, uh, I had an accident, uh, with my shoulder and had to mm-hmm. go into surgery. I was, and then my hand was paralyzed for, oh gosh, a good six months beyond the, the very extensive surgery they had to do. And mm-hmm. it still has not returned completely to this day, but it was almost like, I know this isn't the way it is, but it was sort of like, well, if you want to know about some suffering, I'm going to give you a little bit of personal suffering to deal with. Because, <laughs> you know, the one thing we as musicians, guys like that's what we've been doing our whole life, we can't imagine ever not doing it. And it takes us a yeah. lifetime to get to a point where we can do it at the level we do it. Uh, There's a difference between us and, and, and athletes. Mm-hmm. It's like you can get better and better and better as a, as a writer and as a musician um, with the possible exception of singing. There's a certain point I think where your voice maybe doesn't, can, can't handle anymore, but you know, and for that to be taken away, I'd never really, really uh, contemplated it. And it really forced me to go even further inward. Uh, So, yeah. So the record was made with a lot of tears (laughs) and sweat and blood it was mm-hmm. very very difficult to finish and uh i'm it makes me happy to hear you say that you kind of sense it even when you're listening to it you know yeah. i, I was hoped i hoped that it was coming through that it was for real and it was sincere and it was uh you know legit on that level yeah it's 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 really good you know that that first l- lyric in uh do ya I am yeah. for the mad ones, laughing wild in the night. 
while praying for the light, hanging on for dear life. Man, yeah. I co-wrote that That's with a cool. dear friend of mine. He's the, uh, He was my best friend growing up. His name is Luis Alberto Urrea. i got to say it like that. He's a, he's a uh, professor at the University of Illinois, Chicago, and a Pulitzer Prize uh, nominee for one of his very, I think it was for, uh, he's written so many books. I think it was for Devil's Highway, but he's got he's a fantastic author. And we're old friends, and uh, we, we kind of went back and forth old school, you know, with lines. I would come up with a line, he would come up with a line, and... Uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 uh, I am for the mad ones. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I really am. You know, and that I've and that instrumental. Right, haven't we yeah. all? <laughs> and yeah. many like in many La Quinta hotels. Yes, and, I know. Just wake up screaming. <laughs> where am I? What, what, Which city is this La Quinta in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but man, I I also like that instrumental section. It's got, a, well, you know, like a, it's got a, like a Beatlesque Beach Boys sort of thing going on there. Yeah, I kind of gave myself permission to do whatever I wanted to do on the album musically. I uh-huh. didn't hold myself, you know, back when, you know, when we were making records for labels, you know, you had to satisfy radio and retail and all these other people, marketing people. Uh, and hopefully you could stand your ground a bit and make something. But with this, it was you know, front loaded. It was a Kickstarter project. And, uh, and I thought, well, I, I'm, I don't have to answer to anybody. I'm just right. going to make music. If it sounds good to me, I'm putting it on. Right. It's going, you know? And, uh, and I'm, I appreciate you saying that because that was one of my favorite parts of the album. I worked a long time on that. <laughs> a lot of, <laughs> yeah, I a could lot hear of it. singing and tracking and playing. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that bridge too, that bridge is great. You know, it just yeah, kind of comes out of sense. nowhere, you know. And the last chord. What, what chord is that? Yeah. That's a weird. I couldn't even tell you what that chord is. I have to, have to think about it and look at it on a guitar because I'm kind of detuned on the guitar. It is, it's almost like a, it's a jazz chord. It's like a, a I don't know what, a, I don't know what that chord is. <laughs> But it came out of nowhere, and I went, I'm in. All I knew is I played it by accident once, and I went, okay, that's the last song of the chord. <laughs> that's the last chord right. of the song. That's uh-huh. it. I'm not putting it anywhere else. It's right there. Yeah. Man, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's that it's open, like- flatted five, flatted, you know, third. You know, so it's it's a bizarre chord. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's, it's the icing on the cake, you know. It couldn't, good, it, good. It couldn't <laughs> have ended any other way. Yeah, you know, right. I, 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 I kind of thought that. Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of builds up, you know, and it kind of leaves a half line on the lyric. You know, I was, you know, I was, I'm still enough of a craftsman that when I look at something, I'm, I'm kind of looking for signs of intelligence in, in lyric, and I hope I'm composing accordingly. You mm-hmm. know, rhyme scheme and how, how words flow, what they mean, what, what that's, you know, there's so much that goes into songwriting, you know, that it, it it, if it was so simple, almost anybody could. And the weird thing is almost anybody could write a very simple, catchy song. But when you really start delving into the craft of songwriting, uh, 
you notice that there's even in some of the simplest songs, there's a great deal of intelligence and craft involved in it. Mm-hmm. You know, well, Job is full of craft, my friend. Well, thank you, thank you. It's craft. I appreciate you saying that. You and and a couple dozen other people concur, <laughs> and but they're all people I like and whose opinions I respect. So that makes me feel good. cool. Cool. <laughs> all right. I just had to, I had to jump ahead and and let you know. Yeah, I'm glad. Let you know that. Share that. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back. Let's go back to you know when you were a kid and where you grew up, how you got into music and all that sort of stuff. Well, the short story is this: I grew up in San Diego. Uh, It was I was the oldest with two younger sisters, all different fathers. Uh, my mother was a, and I come from an immigrant family. I didn't know my father. Uh, the second stepfather was a nice guy, but he was gone by the time I was 10. I mean, he, he was really out of the house by the time I was five. And then mm-hmm. left San Diego, and we, we didn't see him again for many, many years. Uh, the third stepfather, however, was, was abusive and an alcoholic and uh, physically and as well as uh you know, emotionally and sexually abusive to everybody in the house. How were, so how old really, were you then? I was seven. So okay. I grew up in a home of extreme, um, you know, there was, you never knew when you were just going to get clocked. And I mean, mm-hmm. closed fist for anything. You never knew when you were going to be in trouble or not, you know, very fearful, uh, uh, violent, uh, you know, but he beat my mother or he beat me. And, uh, you know, the worst thing about that isn't the physical abuse. You hear this all the time, you know, it's like you learn to take the physical abuse. Uh, it's, it's that you, he was around, he, my mother stayed married to him till we were, till I was 13. And he lifted his hand to her one night, and I grabbed his hand, and I said, this isn't going to happen anymore. And, I, you know, and you know me. I'm a pretty big guy. I'm 6'4". And I suppose when I was 13, I was probably already about six feet tall. So I was probably at least as tall as him. And, uh, and he was – they divorced, but he was still around for many years, and his, his horrible influence was around. But the worst thing about it is it takes away your childhood. Yeah. You know, looking back on it, it it's yeah. not the physical abuse. It, it's, it's, it's just, I, my childhood disappeared the day he walked in the door. Mm. And, uh, I grew up very closed. It would be, it's kind of hard to under, to believe it if you know me now, but I mean, it was very introverted and very, uh, much to myself. I could, didn't know how to articulate all these emotions I had about, and which any kid would have. And plus, you know, dealing with feelings of low, low self-esteem and, and uh, just, just uh, the after effects of his, of his, uh, you know, presence in our lives. Mm-hmm. And nobody in my family had ever played music or done anything like that. Nobody had ever been in the music. Nobody had even gotten to college. So that was really kind of the idea for me, but I wasn't much of a student. But I was so drawn to music as an escape from a very young age, from about nine years old on. I, I remember disappearing into music in a way that was, un, I think, uncommon for somebody my age. 
and um, uh, by nook or by crook, I got a bass and started playing bass when I was uh, 13, and very shortly thereafter, and I started playing with guys. It turned out I kind of had a knack for it, and um, my my dear departed grandmother gave saved up what little money she had and bought me a little bass amp, a little box bass amp, and I was able to join a band. And uh, usually playing with guys older than me. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was about 15, um, I had uh, one of the best gigs I've had to this day. It was in San Diego. My mom was a cocktail waitress at one of the hotels on the bay. One of the, it's called, it's called the Catamaran. And it was owned by the same guy that owned the Bahia. So, and they had this steamboat that would go around the bay to all the resort hotels all summer. There were probably about four mm-hmm. or five of them. It would make stops, pick people up. It had a bar up top for the adults. And down below on the steamboat was where the kids would go. Mm. You know, and they served Coca-Cola and stuff. Well, we, that's where we played. All summer, I mean, 75 bucks a week. And there were new girls in town every week. Because, you know, they'd come in here, they'd leave, and then a whole new shipment would come in the next week. And it was heaven <laughs> for a 15-year-old boy. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's still one of the greatest gigs I've ever had in my life. You know, it was so fun and innocent, and it was a blast. We played, I think, five days a week or something like that. Got really good. And uh, then I, uh, when I was 16. Hey, Rick. Hey, Rick. Had, hold, yeah. hold, hold that yeah. thought. we got to take a break, commercial break. Sure. And uh, sure. We'll, we'll continue that. This is great. Thank you. You're listening to Intersect. My guest, Rick Elias. We'll be right back after this. Are you serious about your music? Are you ready to run with the big dogs? The experts at Pitbull Audio have the gear to get you into the game. From leading manufacturers like Mesa Boogie, Fender, Pioneer, and American Audio. To sound your best, you need the best. Pitbull Audio can deliver in rehearsal, on stage, and into the big time. Dropping beats, shredding guitar, or making the crowd roar. Whatever you dream, Pitbull Audio can help make it happen. We are Pitbull Audio. We want you to play it loud. PitbullAudio.com. You know what's all around you every waking moment of your life? Marketing. You're choking on it. I'm Scott Robertson, and when it comes to strategic PR, branding, and marketing, I've seen it all. And actually, I'm still seeing it because bad marketing never sleeps. Join me each week on May the Best Brand Win right here on Intertalk Radio and learn how to make the marketing for your brand unforgettable. Hi, I'm Tim Dolbear, the host of Sound Experience on Intertalk Radio. Each week, I talk with top professional audio engineers, producers, musicians, and the manufacturers that make the tools that we use in the studio each and every day. From capturing the perfect take to mastering your final release and the tools and how the pros use them, we are going to dive deep into their process and learn from their experience. I look forward to you joining us each week on Sound Experience with me, your host, Tim Dolbear. This is Jackie Bertoni from Jackie's Groove. Come join me weekly on my journey through the music business as I take you behind the velvet rope, interviewing industry notables such as Al DiMiola, Michael McDonald, and Al Jarreau, to name but a few. Listen to their stories on being in the studios recording number one hits and onto the stages throughout the globe. Allow me to be your music historian. You can hear me live every Monday at 2 p.m. and every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Standard Time or 24-7 on Jackie's Groove.com. 
Ready to get your groove on? Welcome to Intersect Radio, where music, faith, and life converge. With your host, Aaron the A-Train Smith. Joseph took his wife and her child And they went to Africa To escape the rage of a deadly king There along the banks of the Nile Jesus listened to the song That the captive children to sing They were singing My deliverer is coming My deliverer is standing by My deliverer is coming My deliverer is standing Welcome back, everybody, to Intersect, powered by the Intertalk Radio Network. Uh, today, my guest is Mr. Rick Elias, that fantastic voice you just listened to. Um, that was uh, my deliverer by the late Rich Mullins. Um, Rick and I had the pleasure of recording that song together and, uh, and working That's together right. uh, many months after that. And um, it's just a pleasure to have him here on the show. And we were talking at the end of the uh, first segment about your yeah. your early musical adventures and at the Catamaran Hotel. So, uh, yeah, well, that, it got it got good a year later. So I'm 16, and I'm playing. But by now, I've got an acoustic guitar, and I'm writing songs. I think I'm trying to write songs. I'm seeing myself as something other than uh, just a bass player in a band. And um, it, we had a very healthy Youth for Christ uh, chapter in San Diego, and mm. uh, they mostly they mostly recruited their students from some of the wealthier uh, parts of town, like Mount Helix, La Jolla, wherever. And, and the high school I went to was divided right in half. It was lower middle class. The kids that came from where I came from uh, at the time. Was, you know, working class and lower middle class. It was uh, Claremont. But a new subdivision had sprung up that hadn't built a high school called University City that was largely professionals, doctors, lawyers, academics at that mm-hmm. time. And so their kids were going to our high school as well. So we had a huge high school. And all the cute girls lived in, it seemed, lived in uh, University City. So you always wanted to go over there. And I started going to Youth for Christ meetings there, and they, they were really more like just, you know, teen rallies. They weren't really Bible mm-hmm. studies or anything. They were introducing kids to Christ, and and um, they had a – it's a long it's – a, it's a story in itself. I'm not even going to go into it about how, how it happened, but I wound up coming to Christ via Youth for Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And largely because of their inclusion of music, because we were such a large chapter, all those early Jesus movement guys, they would have big citywide concerts. So they would like bring down Larry Norman, or they'd bring down Randy Stonehill, mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, there were a, a whole bunch of early acts that were all pretty good. I mean, it was before the creation of contemporary Christian music. So mm-hmm. these guys were all guys that were trying to get record or had had regular general market record deals. They were real players, real singers, real, you know, mm-hmm. they knew what they were doing. Uh, and, uh, and they would bring them down. They would play, you know, the, you know, and it was, and they were all pretty good. I mean, Larry Norman in particular was magnificent. So was Randy Stonehill, uh, just wonderful. And I, and I discovered, and they weren't singing, you know, hymns. They were singing personally written songs about their faith that could be funny or insightful or, or moving or whatever. It was kind of out of the yeah. singer songwriter in rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And I went, wow, you can do these two things. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. And it opened my heart anyway, to mm-hmm. the idea that, that, because I didn't come from a church home. I mean, it's like, I, I didn't know from it. You know, we, I had my first early communion and my mother was divorced. And back in those days, you were out, you know, and that was about it. So anyway, yeah. at 16, I accept Christ, and I take it very, very seriously because I'm a, a screwed-up kid. But I'm learning how to play. I'm learning how to write. I, I have this little Neil Young kind of high voice, you know. And uh, got through high school uh, and even went to Christian college for a year, um, which, which was one? a disaster. I went to Azusa Pacific. Okay. Uh, out, out there in Azusa, California. Why uh, was but it, it was a, a disaster, disaster because because here I am in my late teens, you know, late adolescence or, or late teens, and I I'm taking the Bible like I, I'm I'm clinging to it like like a man clinging to a, a board after a ship has gone down in the middle of the sea. I'm taking it deadly serious. And kids that were coming, like, say, pastor's kids or kids that came from very nice, well-to-do families where it was just culture. Of course we go to church. Everybody goes to church. You know, it wasn't – there were no granteds in my view of the faith. There were no givens. Mm -hmm. So they were a lot looser with it. They were more promiscuous. They were more – I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. To me, I was was like – you know, so needless to say, being a young man and growing up with all the things that young men grow up with and, yeah. and you know, and, and I'm remaining chaste and, 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 and I'm, I'm really, really taking this seriously. You know, I get to college and kids are doing drinking binges and having sex and, and I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah. It's like, I couldn't <laughs> figure it out. Plus... <laughs> I was an, a self-taught musician, and they were known for their music there. But I was as good as anybody else in the music program. I just wasn't. I was self-taught. And, but there was no. It was made clear to me: you have no place in the music program. You know, you can't read. You know, uh, so I became oh, a literature because you, major because you I, were a Christian. No, because I was self-taught. I mean, they, oh, they because you were self-taught okay. at college. Okay. Yeah, but. I was as good as anybody else in the program, 
Mm-hmm. They even tried to do some contemporary stuff, you know, but but it was just like I just didn't fit in with anybody there. That was mm-hmm. my point. I mean, I didn't fit in with the pastor's kids. I didn't fit in with the music program. I didn't fit in anywhere. Uh, and uh, there were some bright moments. Uh, a couple of pastors that got it that looked past my my inarticulate and rather sarcastic. I, I began to use sarcasm and uh, a certain, you know, I'm a big guy. I could kind of put off a, a vibe, you know, mm-hmm. like, don't talk to me. And uh, <laughs> I know that vibe. You know, I mean. Yeah, I will. I will hurt you if you come one step closer. And I'm not. I'm not kidding. I'm that kind of a thing. It was just. It was just. You know, me being a just in self-preservation mode. Yeah. And uh, there were a couple of bright spots. A couple of professors that saw through it, especially when I was going to leave and pulled me aside and said, "Stay. You know, I'll mentor you." But music business was calling. Friends of mine had a band. They were signed. Uh, to a subsidiary of a major label of Casablanca Records. They had publishing deals with a major publishing company, and they had a recording studio, which was hard mm-hmm. to come by back in those days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I joined the band, and that's where my real apprenticeship in, in the studio began, because we had an eight-track studio, so we would do sessions for anybody in town that wanted to make any kind of a song, some really hysterical stuff and some good stuff. Um, learned about the studio, learned about pop writing because the the kind of band they were, there was none of this, you know, let's talk about your feelings stuff. You know, it was, it was, they wanted to hit. And so I learned about pop writing and I learned about all that. Did my time with that band, heard Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and went, Oh my goodness, that's the kind of music I want to do. I want to be in a rock. I I don't want to be in a pop band. Yeah. I heard you were kind of yeah. a, a bad boy in San Diego in the rock music scene. Well, I became one. Because when I left college, I kind of, a lot of people talk about the, remembering the day they came to the Lord. I remember the day I kind of rejected my faith. When I left college, I was so angry at, at all of Christendom, at everything about it. I just went, forget it. This is a bunch of nonsense. Mm-hmm. And so, because I didn't know who I was, as I began to form my own bands and go out and play around San Diego, I, I kind of invented this character and, and a, a little note here. I did not know who my real father was. I didn't even know. I thought, I thought my first stepfather was my father my entire life until I was 21, even though wow. I hadn't seen him until my grandmother told me, no, another man was your father. And here was Did his name, and there's a picture of him. No, yeah. he was put in prison. Yeah. Oh. And then he was, he was, you know, I, I've since kind of gotten some more information, but that's a whole other story in itself, a rather sad story, to be honest. But, but yeah. I, so at 21, I find out I'm actually, my real name's Elias, not Hilton. I mean, I, so I just created this person, this character, and it was a time of punk rock. And everybody had to have an attitude. And and I, we weren't a punk band, but we were playing in punk clubs and biker clubs in San Diego. It was very split down the middle. And, or, you know, you'd play it like some kind of Jimmy Buffett kind of place. We didn't fit in in any of those really <laughs> things. We were kind of doing our own thing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I kind of I developed a little bit of an attitude to... Uh, I've developed a lot of an attitude and I, and eventually developed a big substance abuse problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
and that basically wiped out my twenties. I had a couple of wonderful opportunities for, to be signed to major labels. I blew them both, uh, just by either staying with wrong management or by my own behavior. So by the time I was 29, I was on the outs. I was gotten kicked out of whatever band I was in. And, uh, I was sleeping on a garage floor in Pacoima and wondering what to do and what had happened and why I'd screwed up so bad. And, and, uh, I wound up coming back to the Lord. I, 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 in a real way, in a real broken, serious, grown up way of just help me, help me. I need help. And it, it it was a, it was almost a supernatural experience. I, 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 I wouldn't say it actually was, uh, but, but it was, it came very close to, to uh, feeling like God almost actually reaching out and touching me. And I was reconverted. Yeah. I came back and I don't know if you'd be reconverted. I mean, I'll leave that to all the heads to figure out what what that means. (laughs) And, uh, wound up going back to church and, and, uh, met Linda in that period of time. And, and she already had two kids and, and, uh, did you meet her you at know, church? And, no, I met her. She was a, she was in a band down in San Diego too, you know? So I met her down there at my absolute worst and then wound up stuck up in LA on the garage floor, you know, wondering what to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And she found me and stayed in touch with me and, we, I didn't want to date. I was such damaged goods. I, there was no way. And with her having two kids, it was like, forget it. You're barking up the wrong tree, sister. You know, go yeah. find some guy that, you know, you know, it, you know, whatever. You know, Plus her family, you know, they all came from out of, her dad was a head coach of the USC Trojans at the time. It's like, it's like, what are you talking about? I've got a mohawk, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a drug addict. You know, I, I'm lost. I have no band. Nobody cares about me. I've blown everything. You know, well, she hung in there. That's the kind of person she is. And two years later, we married. Wow. Uh, we went. We went through a lot. You know, and there, it was very controversial at the time. The whole idea of divorce and the church, and uh, you know, this was in '87. They weren't quite as cavalier as they are about it now. Mm-hmm. They really made us go through a lot of pre counseling, and Jack Hayford it church on the way where we attended mm-hmm. uh, actually officiated our wedding so that okay that was nice and uh we began our life together you know? wow in san diego or yeah. los angeles it, we were up in la we were up in la okay. and um i got a job at a law firm and uh kept playing music but i'll tell you aaron so i, I get through that whole overdose all the hell that I put myself through in the twenties, it just kind of came to a head around November of, uh, of, uh, 84 when I was 29. Mm. And, uh, uh, now I'm in my thirties. Now I, I turned 30 in January 7th of, of the following year. And for the first time I find in that garage on the garage floor, just my guitar. I finally write the first really good song of my life. Really? It was the first song that I ever thought. I mean, I could have gotten signed with the songs I had written over the previous years. Mm-hmm. They were okay, and I had a good band. I had a great band, really, a great little four-piece band. Um, but uh, the songs weren't that good. Uh, I finally wrote a really, really 
good song. And that was really the beginning of my, of my, uh, uh, what do I, what do I want to rebirth as a musician? Because I knew my days, the, the chance to become a pop star were over. So yeah. now what it was going to be, what do you, what, if you're going to do this, how are you going to do it? You know, you still have a creative, are you getting better? Are you between a better guitar player, a better singer, a better writer? Is it, what opportunities are there out there for you? And, and sometimes all we need to see is that we're actually getting better at what we do. You know, do you remember the song? Encouragement. Yeah, it was called without one word. Um, And it's on my first album, but I kind of had to emasculated a little bit because the theme is so dark uh, and they were, I think they were just a little concerned that it was too dark. Um, the best versions of the song were from four years before I made that album. So the, when I'm talking about 85, when I write the song, I don't really make my first solo album till 89. So all those songs on that first album I had written on the streets, you know, I'm a, I'm a, now I'm a, I went from being Keith Richards to, you know, Ward Cleaver overnight. I've got kids, I've got, <laughs> you know, I've got, a, I've got a job at a law office, you know I mean? It's like, it's like, what, what happened? We're still going out and playing. I kind of kept bands together, very hard to do in LA, but I was getting better as a writer. And I, all those songs that are on, on my first album, that one that, you know, people like so much, I guess. Um, they were written over that four-year period. I didn't even know what Christian music was. Okay, hold that thought, Rick. we got to do another commercial break here. We'll be right back, folks, with my guest, Mr. Rick Elias. Hi, this is Tim Dolbear, host of Sound Experience here on InterTalk Radio. And Source Connect by Source Element is the essential tool that we use to link between my studio in Austin, Texas, and the WS radio station in San Diego. Now, with Source Connect, not only can we communicate in real time and with HD audio, but it's synced up and is of a high enough quality that I can use it for real time ADR work, remote recording, and overdubbing. And it even allows me to remotely control a DAW. Source Connect by Source Element, affordable, high quality audio and video connection over the internet for all of your production needs. You know what's all around you every waking moment of your life? Marketing. You're choking on it. I'm Scott Robertson, and when it comes to strategic PR, branding, and marketing, I've seen it all. And actually, I'm still seeing it because bad marketing never sleeps. Join me each week on May the Best Brand Win right here on InterTalk Radio and learn how to make the marketing for your brand unforgettable. Make this your vinyl night. I'm John J.R. Robinson, and every week, music creation comes alive through stories, experiences, and sounds when vinyl records filled our hearts and minds. My friends and I share our tips and techniques used in creation of iconic tracks for recording artists such as Michael Jackson, Eric Clapton, Quincy Jones, and Steve Winwood, to name a few. Vinyl has emerged hot, and the soul of vinyl defines art and passion, which burns deepest at night. Tune in. Are you serious about your music? Are you ready to run with the big dogs? The experts at Pitbull Audio have the gear to get you into the game. From leading manufacturers like Mesa Boogie, Fender, Pioneer, and American Audio, to sound your best, you need the best. Pitbull Audio can deliver in rehearsal, on stage, and into the big time. Dropping beats, shredding guitar, or making the crowd roar. Whatever you dream, Pitbull Audio can help make it happen. We are Pitbull Audio. We want you to play it loud. Pitbullaudio.com. 
welcome to Intersect Radio, where music, faith, and life converge. With your host, Aaron the A-Train Smith. Yeah, welcome back. This is Intersect, powered by Intertalk Radio Network. And my guest is Mr. Rick Elias. I love that song, Do Ya, from, Thanks, uh, Thank from Rick's last record, uh, Job. Man, that, that, that whole record, it's just beefy and dark. I like Thank beefy you. and dark. <laughs> yeah, I, same here. Same here. I, I love the fact that the... That the uh, you know, Leonard Cohen rest his rest his soul. Oh yeah, his last album. He goes, you the, you want, you it, want darker. it darker. You know, yeah. it's like still <laughs> bringing the word to the people at eighty two years old, man. Yes, you know? I love that That's record, cool. man. I I sit out on. Well, before it got cold, I would, you know, right yeah. after that record came out, I would sit out on the deck and listen to that thing in the dark, man. Is man, that's a great record. Oh, uh, he was, it, yeah, yeah, he's, he's you great. Want it darker. So you want you were you were, you were twisting my arm to tell you about my brief yeah. encounters with celebrities as a chauffeur. Okay. Yes, sir. Well, see, okay, so I straighten out. I get out. I'm on the I'm on the garage floor in Pacoima. I write a my first what I consider to be truly good song. Linda and I become a couple. Um, uh, I come back to Christ. Uh, but I haven't gotten this job at this law firm yet. So I'm picking up work wherever I can. And so is Linda. Linda's, Linda's, you know, waitressing and whatever. And, uh, and so one th- I had some friends, they said, well, we know this limo company, we can get you a job with them. I said, okay. I knew the town well, you know, I knew LA, but like the back of my hand and I got a job. So I'm working for them. Back in these days, there were not, there were self, there were phones in the cars and but they kept us on on uh, pagers, mm-hmm. and you would work. We would, you know, they'd assign a client to you, and they had some crazy clients. Um, some of them weren't famous; they were just like, you know. But you, if depending on their state of mind, there was this one uh, drug fanatic, cocaine nut guy. They would have me pick up, and he would have me driving him for like three days. Wow. I mean, this guy would not stop. And, you know, and I, you know, your eyes are crossing, you know, it's like, yeah, not a was whole lot ma- of regulation in the chauffeur industry. Was he know? making like deliveries? Out- no, he wasn't like that. I mean, they oh. weren't asking me to engage in any illegal activity. And at that point, I was so fervently back into my faith. I mean, mm-hmm. I was, it, it almost became a problem for me. One time they wanted me to pick up a, 
centerfold for some girly magazine at Burbank Airport and this, with the photographer in the back. And they were going to take pictures of her, some like amateur gal. And I'm at the airport and the guy's trying to take, he's going, hey, oh, stand here like you're opening the door for the girl. You know, she's got barely any clothes on. And so I'm like so torn by my faith. I, every picture he took, I made like a really hideous face, you know, like I'd stick my tongue, you know, so they couldn't use the picture. I mean, I was just, yeah, it was just, I, it was just, it was, it kind of got problematic. You know, you kind of go over the yeah. deep end a little bit too far sometimes so you find your center. All this to say, the big one is I've been driving this crazy client for a couple of days, finally get home, crash in my bed, beeper goes off after about an hour call my boss. You got to get down to LA. I can pick up the Jacksons. They're coming in. So, mm. you know, you got to get, you got to fill up everything in the back. You got to get just the right. They usually have a list of things just like they would at a concert. It's like a writer, you know, this mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. cranberry juice and this, and make sure that there's alcohol in there and make sure it's clean and vacuumed in the windows. And it's really a production. Yeah. And, uh, I got down there and it was after the, I think we're after the victory tour. No, no, no. That would have been too early. It was a little bit later. And I can't remember when it was. I kind of get mm-hmm. confused on it. But anyway, I get down there and there's, you know, paparazzi everywhere and just all this mayhem and, and, you know, bodyguards that are as big as houses, you know, these like, you know, NFL player kind of guys, you know, mm-hmm. and I've got Marlon, Tito and Randy and their wives. So we, I get you know, I get them into the car and I'm driving. We get out of LAX and I get on the 405 and we're driving up. And they put the some people would leave that uh, partition down between the driver and the back. Yeah, uh-huh. but they didn't. They put it up. They just put it up. So that was fine with me. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, it didn't matter to me. But it was very quiet. You know, those things ride kind of smooth. And I'm going up the 45 and it's traffic, you know, always traffic. And when you pass sunset going north on the 45, going up towards, uh, if anybody's ever lived there, you're going up towards Mulholland. The, the freeway kind of does a, an eastward curve. So it doesn't go straight up the mountaintop through the pass, kind of curves through the pass, which means you better be watching what you're doing. Well, I was in like the third lane. One over the, to the left of me was, you know, the fast lane. And there's no shoulder. There's only concrete between the north and southbound. And I'm driving, and I hear them back there talking, and I hear glasses tinkling, yada, yada, yada. They're all happy. I would be, too, if I was in the back of the limo. And I'm driving them, <laughs> and, you know. And I just kind of shut. I just kind of thought I was blinking my eyes. And, I mean, you know, you're going about 70 miles an hour, and cars are right on your rear end and right in front of you. I uh-huh. mean, they don't mess around in L.A. You know, no, there's none don't. of this one car for every 10 miles per hour. I mean, <laughs> yeah. People are just jamming, man. You know, and I'm in the stretch, and I, I thought I was closing my eyes, and I I probably, I, I don't know what, a second, a second and a half, long enough for me to be crossing over into the fast lane at 70 miles an hour. Thank God nobody was just to the left of us, but he was right behind me. He hits his horn. I open my eyes. I jerk. I'm headed straight for the stinking wall. Wow. The concrete wall. I jerked the wheel to get back over into the third lane. And all I heard was just mayhem in the back of the limo. 
like, <laughs> people yelling and cussing. Just all, all this mayhem, just like flying around, you know. And I'm sitting there, like, I'm holding the wheel like grim death, you know. My arms are aching. I'll just be, the little partition comes down. And I yes. think it was Randy. Looks out. He goes, he goes you all right? Fine. It's fine. Somebody tried to get in our lane. They didn't buy it. I dropped him off in Encino, and I got fired later that day. So there you go. Oh, they called in and had you fired, huh? Oh, they called. They got me. They thought that you 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 sent this crazy person trying to kill us, you know, type thing or something. I don't know what they thought. That could have been it. I got fired. Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) Providence. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway. so how how did you get to Nashville? How did that happen? You know, I saw uh, my. I had. I finally made a demo in '88 of all these songs I'd been writing because we were, were playing the clubs in LA. I didn't know there was a thing called Christian music. Uh, you know, last I had any exposure to it was '75, '76. So, I make this demo at a really good studio and I produce it. I know exactly how I want it to be because I'd worked with producers before and they screwed my music up. And I thought, well, I can do that. I don't need to hire somebody <laughs> to screw my music up. Yeah. <laughs> Let me screw my own music <laughs> up, which is kind of how I backed into production, but I made a pretty good sounding demo at a good studio. And that got into the hands of one person who took it to Estes park. I didn't know anything about that, who handed it off to an, another guy, great guy, Dave Bunker, who worked with a label and and up in Chicago and they had a deal with a, with a very edgy Christian label in orange County back in California. Kind of weird how that is. And they called Mm. me and said, would you mind if we were, we'd like to sign you. We want to release this. I said, well, I don't want to release that. I want to re-record the band had changed a little bit and I had some more, Mm -hmm. more songs and stuff, but one thing led to another. I wound up signing with uh, that label down. Uh, it was Frontline Records, but and got the record done, put it out uh, to pretty good acclaim. I mean, even locally. I mean, the L.A. Times called one of the top ten records of the year. I mean, of any of anything, any record. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was really. I kind of had a little bit of uh, on me. We kind of went out and toured, but I didn't know what I was getting into. That whole Christian music thing. You know, mm-hmm. I played I played at a cornerstone was my first gig and I went, Oh, I get this. These are my people. I I, <laughs> I can tear this up. And then I got out in the real world in the van, you know, playing at Bob's church and in yeah. you know, Crib Death <laughs> Iowa, you know. You know, with with some agenda that he has where he wants to do a love offering or something or, or some store you know, you know, you know, and he wants me to you know, people are fleeing for the exits with hearing me try to do a love offering or doing altar call, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I'm not that guy. That's not me. You know, so my honeymoon was short lived and within six months they had lost their distribution. So there was a little business lesson as well. Mm-hmm. They had no distribution. So I'm out there playing to nobody. My record isn't available. Nobody's coming to anything, but I did meet rich that year on a trip to Guatemala with compassion international that my good friend, Mark Hollingsworth uh, had invited me along on. Mm. And that was the beginning of our friendship. Uh, got back, took another job, went with a temp agency. I was working at some financial company. 
made a second album. Of course, nobody listened to it. Uh, these guys didn't have any distribution. They were on the, they were, they were basically dissolving the company without telling any of the artists and not paying bills and not doing what they needed to do. It wasn't all the guys that were working. there really their fault. Even it was the guy who owned the label was kind of pocketing all the dough. Uh, mm-hmm. An evangelist, by the way, from oh, of course. the old Calvary Chapel days. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know these guys. Yeah. I don't know where they find them. But anyway, <laughs> um, it, it came down that the second record came out. Uh, I had one last shot and it was to tour with Margaret Becker, but she was here. The whole industry had moved here to Nashville. Sparrow mm-hmm. record. They all used to be out in L.A. They were all here. And I mm-hmm. came through here on tour on a previous tour. And I told Linda, I said, it's really nice there. You know, uh, I, and she was like, you've got to be out of your mind. I'm not moving to Tennessee, but she came through with me and she loved it as much as I did. So we, we moved here in, um, 91. Uh, and, uh, uh, I toured with Maggie in 91 and 92 and the label went belly up and I was stuck. I was here. Mm-hmm. Finally got, I'm just going over the cliff notes really just to move us along. Uh, within about a year, I got a deal with uh, BMG as a writer. Linda and I both did. We negotiated a deal, and that kind of stabilized us here in town. You know, it wasn't much mm-hmm. money, but it was something. It was enough to pay the rent and to keep the lights on. It wasn't enough money for food or anything else, but it was that. And mm-hmm. during this time is when when Rich and his manager, Gay, were coming up with the Ragamuffin Band concept. And I came through, and I, I think I was playing in Oklahoma City or something, and Gay came down to visit me and see me. To, I was opening for some somebody. And I was really down and out. And I thought, gosh, dang, you know, what? I picked up my whole family, moved here. I thought, you know, whatever. You know, I, was, I didn't really know what to do next. And she said, well, don't be depressed. We're working on something. And then came the Ragamuffin Band. So I was on my way out. You know, I thought I was ready to go to BMG and go, look, we're moving back to LA. Introduce me to the pop department. I, you know, I, I'm getting, we're getting out of here. Mm-hmm. And Rich kind of kept me in, in the game. And, 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 uh, you know, he, it was a blessing and curse playing with, with Rich, you know, and looking back on it now, but, uh, mostly a blessing. His friendship was a blessing. His artistry was definitely, uh, it, I, I just always appreciated his artistry. That was yeah. the thing because I, yeah. by the time I was, yeah, by the time I was on my way out, I was like, they're only listening to the people who aren't saying anything. Right. The guys with anything to say, Mark Hurd, uh, you know, Terry Taylor, Mike Rowe, you, you know, all those bands that you guys were doing up there in Sacramento, Charlie, you know, no, these guys, you know, Charlie was doing okay. But, you know, with Sparrow and all that as a producer, but it just seemed like all the only people they wanted to listen to were the people with nothing to say. Mm-hmm. Rich was the only artist that had any significant commercial clout in Christian music, you know, who was saying anything. Mm-hmm. That's right. And to me, he right. was a, yeah, or at least the, the biggest artist. So it was a real blessing to play with him. And uh, man, I think we're going to commercial. Yeah, yeah, we're that's that's gonna do it for us, man. I just I told you it goes ah, by fast. But thank I know, you, thank did. you I so much. I told you I'd go down the rabbit. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> thank you, folks. 
My guest, Mr. Rick Elias, thank you so much for coming today. This is today. Tony from Jackie's Groove. Come join me weekly on my journey through the music business as I take you behind the velvet rope, interviewing industry notables such as Al Dimiola, Michael McDonald, and Al Jarreau, to name but a few. Listen to their stories on being in the studios recording number one hits and onto the stages throughout the globe. Allow me to be your music historian. You can hear me live every Monday at 2 p.m. and every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Standard Time or 24-7 on Jackie'sGroove.com. Ready to get your groove on? Hi, this is Tim Dolbear from Eclectica Studios. I'm a full-time mixing and recording engineer. I work with Grammy winners, labels, and indie artists using state-of-the-art digital mixing and restoration tools and the very best in analog gear. Really, though, it's my ability to bring tracks to life and fulfill your vision for your music. This has made me sought after by producers and artists worldwide. So spend your time working on music and not chasing a mix down a rabbit hole. Go to timdolbear.com and check out our free one-song mix offer. You know what's all around you every waking moment of your life? Marketing. You're choking on it. I'm Scott Robertson, and when it comes to strategic PR, branding, and marketing, I've seen it all. And actually, I'm still seeing it because bad marketing never sleeps. Join me each week on May the Best Brand Win right here on Intertalk Radio and learn how to make the marketing for your brand unforgettable. Are you serious about your music? Are you ready to run with the big dogs? The experts at Pitbull Audio have the gear to get you into the game. From leading manufacturers like Mesa Boogie, Fender, Pioneer, and American Audio, to sound your best, you need the best. Pitbull Audio can deliver in rehearsal, on stage, and into the big time. Dropping beats, shredding guitar, or making the crowd roar. Whatever you dream, Pitbull Audio can help make it happen. We are Pitbull Audio. We want you to play it loud. PitbullAudio.com. 